It's Thursday, July 23rd, 2020, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the show about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 280, You Must Be This Tall to Save the World. Runtime for this episode is hours 23 minutes. And welcome to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast that thinks the best security system is to just make the burglar sleep for seven years. My name is Jeremy. I'm Tyler. Would you like me to repeat that? I'm Tyler. Would you like me to repeat that? According to at least one credit card company, I'm a bad friend. My name is Zach. Uh, what? Yeah, shall we just <laughs> jump into that? I've been playing Dokkan Battle again. It's Zach's fault. They canceled my credit card. <laughs> <laughs> I have the money. It's not a problem. <laughs> I have not spent beyond my means. Just beyond what my credit card thinks a reasonable human being who is not a thief should spend on yeah. Dokkan Battle. They have adjusted my um, information to say thief instead of my name. That wasn't intentional. I don't even know. Like, I was just talking about the, the anniversary stuff that was going on and Jeremy was like, I'm installing it again. I hate you. I really feel like that's your fault, Jeremy. I mean, I wouldn't have if Zach didn't mention it. That's fair. But he doesn't ever not. So actually, I go pretty long stretches without mentioning Dokkan Battle. Just to anyone, ever? I'm usually just doing whatever I'm doing on my own. Like, That's fair. Most of my phone games I don't talk about a lot because I know no one else really plays them. Uh, we played Ocarina of Time this week. Before we get into it, do we want to talk about the future plans for this podcast? Oh, are, we, are we doing that now? Maybe We're end of life in the podcast. Yeah, so there was a global pandemic that launched a thousand podcasts. But not <laughs> this one. This podcast stopped production for that global pandemic. <laughs> and it made me kind of decide that I don't know that this show is what I wanted it to be, really. We've made format adjustments over the years. We've made changes. And there are some episodes of this podcast I'm super, super happy with, and others that really feel like we did them out of obligation. So in an attempt to sort of get past that, we're going to keep recording this podcast until we hit episode 300. And it's my hope that that sort of deadline will make us play the sorts of games for this podcast that really, really excite us. Games like Ocarina of Time, a game that Tyler has suggested to me at least 30 times during the run of this podcast. And I've said, no, I do not have the time to play Ocarina of Time right now. But as you may know, I currently don't have a job, which means I can play goddamn anything we select. Uh, it's the worst time of year for me to play anything that actually requires motivation because I'm depressed and spend all week playing Dokkan Battle. And the summer will do that to me. But at least I have the time. And Ryan, I know you're going to miss this podcast, but... <laughs> Our one listener. Hi, Ryan. Every other week, that is still very nearly a year of episodes that we're going to continue recording. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And we may continue to do stuff with the brand afterwards. I don't want to commit to anything. I would like to maybe like do some intermittent Let's Plays or something or like have some sort of theme challenge things. But well, that's that's a whole different direction. And we're still probably going to be doing our our end of month game night. But that's that's more tangential to this and more of just we wanted an excuse for us all to get together and play video games. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's an uh, that's an obligation to make us people who are friends actually hang out with each other digitally sometimes. Which is also kind of how this podcast started. It is. If yes. we're being honest. 
Mostly you and I wanted to critically examine old video games that we had never played before, and that's not really what we did. Yes, so. that is what I wanted to do, and also you were getting married and lived an hour away from me, and I also wanted to that, chain yeah. you to me so you did not <laughs> uh, slip into the ether. Anyway, so if that news makes you sad, I've been depressed with the heat and playing Dokkan Battle all week. Uh, <laughs> There are lots of extreme Dokkan battles that and super boss rushes I never completed, which means lots of dragon stones there for me to take. That did not stop me from buying all the ones on sale and, as previously mentioned, get my credit card canceled. But I did finally get that LR Vegito. No, I still don't have that. The tech one, the new one. Okay. After getting two spare purple LR Vegitos and rainbowing LR Gohan. Wow. Which LR Gohan? The blue one? Yeah. Yeah, the... Uh... I actually pulled another, I've gotten, I think, three duplicates now in total of the purple one, the purple <laughs> LR Vegito. Oh, Vegito, okay. I thought yeah. you meant the Gohan. No. I was like, what are you pulling on to get all these? I mean, I pulled on, I, I pulled and got two of them in the, its very first run, and then on this current one, it's like, here, have two of them. So yeah, I've been playing a lot of Dokkan Battle. The other thing I've been playing, which is very similar in my head, is Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links Evolution, or whatever that Switch game is called. Uh, I, oh, sh- It's yeah. only one I am looking at it. That I um, can remember the name. It can't possibly be Duel Links. And no, because it that's... is called Duel Links, but then there's a colon afterward. Is, I... is it the one that only has three monster no. slots? No, it's the one you have on the Switch. Okay. Also. I uh, only ever think of that one play more of that. purely as Yu-Gi-Oh! Switch, because yeah. I can't remember its title either. The yeah. Switch one. Yeah, that's also how I usually remember it. I have another deck. I understand Pendulum Summoning now, so I can use that as a weapon. <laughs> is it an effective weapon? Yeah, In some decks, yes. I found that XYZ summoning is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that might be fun, although I think you'd probably crush me. I haven't played that game in a long time, and I think I still only have that Red Eyes deck I built way the hell back when. Zach, if we play it, I do want to play it. But if we play it, I will say to you, okay, Zach, do you want me to beat you with the deck that you will understand why you are losing and think (laughs) of Or the deck where you'll just think I'm making up rules (laughs) while I beat you? God damn it, Jeremy, why are you you role-playing as Yugi? You're just making this up now. Hey, I have a blue eyes deck. That is me playing as Kaiba and being like, oh, hey, I have Dragon Shrine. I discard a card and switch for two dragons and put them into my hand. Hey, this is Blue Eyes Alternative Dragon. It's Alternative a 3, dragon. Attack, It's a 3,000 attack monster that counts as Blue Eyes White Dragon if it's on the field, but can only be special summoned if you show if you have Blue Eyes White Dragon in your hand. Guess which two cards I just got. I'm sorry, Blue Eyes Alternative Dragon. Yep. Does it have, like, a mohawk or something? <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> it just looks like a Blue Eyes White Dragon. <laughs> okay. And, and so, uh, an Azure Eyes Silver Dragon. My favorite named card. <laughs> because in, in the Japanese version, it's just, in English, Blue Eyes White Dragon. <laughs> so they decided to translate that as Azure Eyes Silver Dragon. Okay. Interesting. Well, because Blue Eyes White Dragon already existed, yeah, obviously, so. And then I have an Endymion deck, which does all sorts of pendulum summoning, and has all these spell counters, and sometimes it just special summons Endymion, and then I get to destroy all your cards. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Like I said, you'll just be like, what's this b- you've made up, and why does the game let you do it when clearly you made it up? That's all I've been playing other than the assignment, though. So, Zach, what have you been playing? I've actually started playing Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare again. Um, every time I tried booting up uh, the assignment, I'm like, I could play Ocarina of Time, or I have Modern Warfare right there. So I've been playing that a bunch. On the Steam sale, I actually picked up Blood Bowl, or Blood Bowl 2 specifically. I played through the campaign of that, and that gives you kind of a weird interpretation of the game because you get a couple of star players in it, and those are very different than how the game plays normally, because if you play it 
like in just the the competitions you don't get those star players so you don't get those kind of like special cards main character powers yeah not quite to that level because like they're still balanced one of them you have has a five strength two agility so he's never going to pick up the ball but five strength is pretty high though yeah but a lot of them have the same like five isn't so high that it's just automatically winning everything i started playing like a solo league with a team of lizard men which all of my little dudes are kind of high level whereas all my brawler guys because of the way experience works are not so that is definitely a game that I think is a lot of fun. It's it was nice and cheap on the Steam sale for it was like ten bucks for the whole thing. I also picked it up, but I haven't had a chance to play it yet. We keep saying that we should we should start up like a Blood Bowl league or something. I think that would be a blast. I just need to like devote some time to actually doing it. Yeah, that's well, it's kind of the same thing. We all need to be online at the same time to do it too. I think. Well, um, if it's a league, we can just like do it by appointment if we play a game weekly. Well, I meant just to set up the league itself. That's true. Um, we would at least need to come up with like a Discord channel. Because <laughs> we don't have enough of those. <laughs> I want to blame Sabaton for this. I actually picked up Ezra Lane. Oh yeah, Steam. we have to hear about this. Uh, do I have to change the Discord channel from uh, Kentai Collection is banned to Ezra Lane is banned? Hmm? We have that one Discord channel that is named. Somehow this became a place to put pictures of battleships. Kentai uh, Collection is banned. <laughs> is it really called that? In yes. Full? I picked up the Steam game specifically. I don't know anything about this. What the hell? Uh, it's a Chinese MOBA about battleships that have, of course, been anthropomorphized into Moe girls. Yeah, okay, cool. Um... There, Zach, <laughs> I, that's all I know. Take it away, Zach. <laughs> that's the wrong button. That's the wrong Moe uh, gotcha that was, game. That was fate. <laughs> yeah, the wrong Moe gotcha game. It's one of the most friendly free-to-play gotcha games I've, ca- I've come into. Yeah, you mentioned that, and I kind of wonder if its Chinese origin is responsible for that. Because there are a bunch of laws in China, uh, even more than the U.S., that require you to make those more friendly. Oh, I'm sorry. That thing you showed me earlier was that game. Yes. Okay. That's you, Yorktown, by the way. I assumed you this was some... what you're seeing, Tyler. I assume this was some fate nonsense. So it is a uh, girl wearing a, like, lawn dress with a kind of black jacket. It's, it's kind of a nice jacket. It's got, like, an American flag armband. She's got, like, long flowing pink hair, and she's got an eagle. It is simultaneously understated America, but also America as heck. She's got white hair, by the way. Okay, it looks kind of pink from... Okay, yeah, no, I, I take it back. It's definitely anime white hair. Here, let me go uh, show you Akagi real quick. It's... This is what Which... the podcast is going to be after episode 300. Just Tyler <laughs> describing Battleship Girls. Oh, that's oh, a kitsune. That's just straight up... A ca- I feel like I know what character she is. She's from... A fairly popular anime. It's not Spice and Wolf. What carrier cruiser is, are? The, are that's these, a Kagi. Is they're that all the real carriers. Carrier. Okay. I don't know. She was, was one, one of the the first one was Yorktown. Oh, I thought you meant she is in Yorktown, which no, is the is name Yorktown. of her real place. No, okay, she is I Yorktown. I don't know what the Yorktown is. She's Yorktown senpai. She was one of the eight ships that I really wanted when I when I picked this up. Eight of them that I really wanted were Yorktown Enterprise. Uh, Hornet, Akagi, Kaga, Kiryu, and Soryu, and the Denver. For obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. And then I found out the Colorado's in the game, but it's an event-specific one, and they haven't rerun that event since I started playing it. Um, do you Wait. know why I would want the other seven? I recognize all these names, but that's about it. They all were at Midway. Yep, that's right. They were all at Midway. Hey, Zach, I'm going to ask you this. If you don't know, I'll be sad, but really I'm asking you this to see Tyler's reaction to the question. Can you explain the marriage mechanic in the game? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, uh, so you're shipping your ships is what I'm hearing. So, because all I know about it is polygamy is available, but it is uh, pay to polygamy. I have two ships that wait, are apparently wait, in love wait, with me. Wait, Well, I guess technically it's polygamy because they're all women, I assume, right? The first ring is free. <laughs> the first ring is free. Uh, I have the first ring. I, I, speaking from experience as a practicing polyamorous person, the first ring is in fact not free. <laughs> it is in this. It is in that game. So um, it's, this is why it's still cheaper than a real girlfriend, but not by much. Um, so, like almost all the ships are available via drop. I think the Denver and the Enterprise are in the gotcha, but at least Enterprise, I think, is on like if you retire ships, you get a like a, a medal for them. And enough of those, when it's on like that rotation, you can get it for free. So, so like, re- really almost quick, all of them are for free. If you're thinking, like, hey, what does Denver say to you? Like, describe what you think Denver should look like. You already have it, so. I don't have the USS Denver, but I know what she oh. looks like. Because that's not at all what Denver says to me. No, but I'm into it. I mean, yeah, for sure. I like the short hair. Uh, I know she's a I like Cleveland. the jacket. The jacket is really what yeah. does it for me. Uh, I believe um, she's got the same type of jacket that Cleveland has because she's one of the Cleveland uh, light light cruiser uh, Cleveland class. I'm just really sad that she's not Lucifer inspired or <laughs> Denver Broncos inspired in some way. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It's not a native that made it. The, the two that are weird to me that aren't in the game are the USS Iowa and the uh, IJN Yamato. Neither of those are actually in the game, and that's really odd to me because those are both particularly like legendary battleships. Yeah, I was gonna say, especially the Yamato. They're, um, they're saving like ever- those for marriage. Uh, yeah. Anyway, continue with the marriage mechanic. <laughs> I actually don't know exactly how it works. I know if you raise like their affection by taking them out on battles and having them <laughs> in whatnot. Well, I guess like, that's actually how Fire Emblem works. You take them out on battles. Their their affection <laughs> goes up, and then when you hit a hundred, you can give them a ring and have them marry. I don't know what it does or anything like that. My understanding is there is a stat boost, but I do not know that for sure. That was just Zach saying, I'm playing Azure Lane now, and me doing a cursory Google of Azure Lane. This is what I discovered. Um, because that's where my priorities are. And, like, the way it plays is it's basically a bullet hell type of thing. Interesting. So that's not what I would have expected more at all. More of, like, short battles where they, like, you're trying to avoid torpedoes and whatnot, and they automatically fire, with the exception of, like, your abilities, like throwing out ways of fighters and stuff. Which is how it plays on mobile. Yeah. So. Um, once a ship girl reaches 100 affection, I just like that they're canonically ship girls. One word. It's one uh-huh. word. It's possible to marry them by offering them a reign of promise. Players receive a reign of promise as a one-time quest reward. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the hell the actual benefit of doing this is. Um, increases I- their affection cap. I think Jeremy's right. I think there is a stat boost. Effect- so it does not immediately boost your stats. Your affection boosts your stats, stats and being ship girl married raises your cap to 200, so you can have double the stats from affection. Ah, uh, okay. Also, you get to rename the married ship girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's how marriage works, right? <laughs> I actually got weirdly lucky with mine, and I managed to pull the USS Shangri-La and the USS Essex pretty quickly, which I don't think are available via outside the gacha right now, but like when I was just getting started, one of the things that I found that something... When I was trying to... I don't remember what I was looking for. I was looking for like information on what's, how something worked. And one of like the, all the new player stuff where, okay, you're going to start playing and then you're going to get stuck at 3-4 and you're going to stay at 3-4 for freaking ever. Because the Kaga and Akagi both drop from that stage, but they're really rare drops. It's like a 0. .75 gotcha. chance so, for so them to drop. keep grinding. Yeah, but you can get them from like any stage, or not any stage, but like 
you can get almost all of them from those different stages, which I think is really cool because it means that, you know, you're not shackled to the gotcha for stu- for most of the things. You're not going, one more pull. Shut up, Chase. I'm an adult. <laughs> I, I have a job. I can afford it. I don't, though. I know. <laughs> I can, but I don't. The game has, like, four resources. You have oil, which basically functions as your stamina, and it generates an ex- a, like a side thing. Go ahead, Tyler, because yeah, you're laughing at yeah, something. Tyler's looking up a wiki, and I need to know. I'm No, I'm just, like, reading. Mostly, like, some of this art is just, like... That's not how anatomy works, but... Um, yes, welcome to anime. Also, the lowest status you can have with someone on affection is disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> it's disappoint, stranger, friendly, crush, love, oath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like every woman I've been interested in, I have been one of those states with. <laughs> Usually disappoint. Um, <laughs> hey, hey. I'm, on, so, I'm sorry, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um, <laughs> so, like, from a gameplay perspective, it has probably the most gameplay out of almost all of the gacha games I've played, as well as being one of the most uh, free-to-play friendly, and then just, to, like, make everything even more on that side of things. The first, like, in-game, like, purchase that you make of their in-game currency, it doubles it. Oh, interesting. So, I did it because there was a reward, and they're like, hey, we'll give you Saratoga if you buy some of it. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll I'll give you guys $10 for $20 worth of your in-game currency. I thought you were going to say that it gives you serotonin. I'm like, well, you're not wrong. Yeah, that's why I play Dogon now. <laughs> it's um, because I'm too smart to actually gamble, so I gamble the way I can't win actual money. Nah, Saratoga. And I, I also have Lexington. Oh, man, what was I even going to say about this? I'm sorry, I'm just still reeling from the fact that all of them have specialized wedding dresses. <laughs> Has Gundam Seed taught you nothing? <laughs> they also it's like have a, a golly should never get married jesus <laughs> there also is a section in the shop for uh skins i mean obviously so oh that's what i was gonna ask so uh jeremy described it as a moba is that at all accurate or was D- he just did i say moba i did, did not yes. mean to say moba. okay yeah, um it is not a moba it's just a bullet hell. it's a it's a bullet hell and like there is a pvp element but it's one of those pvp elements where you just try it's... to outperform your opponent rather than it's basically a stat check. It's entirely controlled by the AI. Um, yep. There's an auto battle function on it, which I use on occasion for stuff because, like, if I'm doing something else and I just want to, like, like get the points, basically, and just farm, just setting it to auto do it. Granted, it's not as good as you are, and it's not going to make quite as good of decisions for like your special skills, but it's good enough that generally you're going to be okay with a lot of that. But like, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Which I'm is... almost tempted to pick it up just because it's such a ludicrous idea. So. Yeah, and like I said, because it has actual gameplay associated with it, I think that works a lot better, and it's a lot more free with its um in-game like it's in-game gotcha currency because those are they're called wisdom cubes, but honestly, they look like the tesseract from Avengers. So that's what I keep thinking of them as. The way the game is structured for your teams is you have your like your main fleet is what it's called, and your vanguard fleet. So your vanguard fleet is basically cruisers and destroyers, and those are the ones you actually steer around with the controls, I guess. For the bullet hell. And the other ones, your main fleet, are carriers, battle cruisers, and battleships. And that's where your flagship is. And if that dies from stuff like getting past your vanguard fleet to attack it or whatever, those provide like aircraft attacks and battleship guns. So, like, there's that you need kind of both of them to be really successful, but it depends on what you're doing because, like, some cruisers can't have torpedoes, which are really good. But their destroyers are less armored, but can take torpedoes, but are faster, but have weaker guns. So, like, having a combination of things is generally a good idea. I mean, 
That said, one of my most powerful ships is the USS Laffy, which is a destroyer. I'm sorry, the Laffy? Yes, the USS Laffy. <laughs> it's Luffy's brother. Anything else, Zach? <laughs> Laffy D. Did I, Roger. Did I play, I mean, other than the other gacha games, did I play anything else? I mean, like I said, I played a lot of Ezerlane in the last couple of weeks. No, I've just watched, I've also just watched a lot of anime. Like, I've just sat down and been like, I paid Funimation money. I will watch these. That's how I feel with my Gumpla. I may have bought five more Gumpla. I, I finally got my Gumpla to there. They would all fit in my desk. And I was like, this will do no good. I need some <laughs> Evangelions that are too big to fit in my desk. And some more Gumpla to sit outside my desk. I see what you mean about the Intercessor kit being kind of annoying to put oh, yeah. together. Oh. I don't know why the legs come in two pieces, but whatever. I'm still building those guys. The new set sold out in 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah, their, their new uh, set sold out really fast. And then GW was like, huh, people are paying scalpers for this. Let's just go made to order for this for a little while <laughs> so that everybody who wants one can get one and pay us, not them. So like, We are the scalpers now. That was a... GW's always been that. I was going to say the secret is they've always been the scalpers. So. <laughs> so, like, good on GW for making the right decision for a change. Like I said, watched a lot of anime. Really like Steins Gate. I kind of want to re- replay. Kind of want to play the visual novel for that. I decided that I would probably enjoy the visual novel, even though I couldn't get into the anime. The problem is the text is so... Like, I tried loading it up at one point. The text is so small on my monitor, like, I can't read it from my position. So it's like, this is entirely reading, and I wouldn't be able to really read it in a comfortable position. So that's that's the thing that has kept me from doing that. There are a lot of games I haven't actually gotten into because they're fairly text-heavy, and my TV that I have my computer hooked up to is, like, a weird resolution. So changing it to smaller resolution so I can try to read the text doesn't usually work. So as an accessibility note, any game developers who are listening to this podcast, font size is actually very important. Yeah, like I remember having exactly the same problem when I tried playing Frostpunk. The text was so small I could barely freaking read it. I could play the game just fine, just couldn't read any of the text, which was pretty which important. Which is a lot of the game, yeah. Did I play anything else? A lot of, like I said, a lot of gacha games... A lot of anime. Watching Plunder is weird. Like, that one had a left turn out of nowhere that I didn't expect. It's like, hey, look at this cool fantasy anime. All right, neat. Oh, a demon showed up from this abyss place? Cool, I can't wait to see how they fight that. Oh, no, it's the demon. That's a fucking hind. Like, that's not a demon. That's a hind. Uh, Russian helicopter. Oh, okay. Interesting. I like that. Oh, well. So I'm intrigued if it's a if it's a uh, undercover isekai. <laughs> Undercover isekai. Well, if, um, it, if it wasn't, if it is an isekai, the isekaiing happened like 300 years prior to where this story is right now. So oh, that'd like, be interesting. That's kind of an interesting angle to it. Um, I watched all of from Co- I can't even pronounce it, but it's from commonplace to world's strongest. About as generic isekai as it gets, but like I enjoyed it, even though it had a some of the worst 3D animation I've seen. We're talking 90s, like bad 90s Did you era. Ever finished the We Never Learn anime? <laughs> you know all those anime that I really like and keep saying I need to finish? <laughs> yeah, I know. Still haven't done that. Still haven't finished uh, My Hero on the most recent one. Yeah, I am I actually haven't caught up on My Hero, but mostly because I forgot that it was on my list. And like Food Wars is restarting soon, and I, I do want to watch those. Railgun starting up again. So like I've got stuff to watch and whatnot, so I... I've just been kicking back and relaxing a hell of a lot more than normal. And I think it might just be because of the fact that I'm stuck in my chair all day working because <laughs> I'm working from home still. So I'm in the same place. So when I get done with work, it's like, I don't want to be like doing anything that makes me think here. So, and I've had really interesting time figuring out what to do with my Saturdays. 
now that you're not doing with your Saturdays. Yes, now that I'm not going into the paper on Saturdays anymore. What have you doing with your Saturdays, Tyler? Mostly hanging out with my quad and playing board games, so. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, I bought a $100 anime um, werewolf-esque board game. What's really? it called, out of curiosity? Oh, God, what is it called? Shadowhunters, I want to say? Okay, that doesn't it's sound familiar. It's an anime-style game? Yeah. I mean, it's anime art style, basically. Oh, okay. Um, it's basically a way more structured werewolf that has a combat system. Interesting. Okay. Like, there are hunters, there are uh, shadows, and there are neutral people. And there are cards to help you figure out people's identities. Huh, that's interesting. I was going to say, uh, I played a game called Human Suffering recently, which is kind of a, like, also upgraded take on werewolf, which I really like. It's uh, the robots want to wipe out everyone, the humans want to wipe out everyone, and then there are outlaws who, like, only want to wipe out, I think, the other humans. Humans are at a major disadvantage in this. Well, also, I mean, it is called Human Suffering, so I think there are also sense. demons. Yeah, no, there are, I think there are four factions. Anyway. That sounds interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how combat would work. It's probably the kludgiest bit. Basically, you roll two dice to go to a place every turn. And depending on what place you go, you get to draw either a one-time use card, a figure what, who someone is card, or an equipment card. And then you can attack people in your square, which you do by rolling a d6 and a d4. And you subtract the lower number from the higher number and after your equipment, and that's how much damage you deal to them. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, yeah. like I said, not... I don't think there are too many steps involved in that. The way I mean, it's, it's roll dice, and then that's it. Yeah. The way human suffering works is everyone has two health, but your health is literally the information. So you're... That, like Coup? Have you played Coup? I've never even heard of Coup. Oh, Coup, Coup is a you game. We gotta play Coup. Uh, <laughs> Coup is a game where everybody gets two cards, they put them face down, and every card has an ability. And you, you get money from the center. Everyone can choose to take one coin, or they can choose to take two coins. Uh, but one of the card's abilities is to stop that. And your health is your two cards. If a card is face up, then you've lost that ability and that health. Nobody knows what your cards are. Including you? No, you do. Okay. So you can bluff as much as you want, as long as you don't get called on it. Because if someone calls a bluff, uh, you have to either reveal that card or you take a damage. Which yep. would lead to you having to reveal the card anyway. Well, but the thing is, if you reveal the card, then they take a damage. Okay. So if you reveal the card and it's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds very similar, actually. One of my favorite games that I played recently, because this is, you know, apparently board games now. Um, I actually bought a huge board game Humble Bundle, and I haven't gotten around to any of them. Except for the Splendor app, which is still as bad as it was on my phone. <laughs> um, it is barely functional trash garbage. Uh, Why is, is the official Dominion app so much worse than the old um, ghetto the, Dominion? The new official Dominion app is actually much better. Okay. So, um, yep, it's actually, like, super easy to just do pickup games with people now, so... If we want to play Dominion sometime, it takes like 10 minutes, and it's nice. What the heck game was uh, I think it's, it's uh, the family that helped the popes become the popes in Venice in like the 1400s, I want to say. That family. And does anyone, Medici maybe? I don't know. It doesn't ring a bell. It's, it's merchants. Yeah, yeah, merchants of Zobby. I would play that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but basically, Once the big exam is mass produced, we'll put an end to the Federation in no time. It's like a weird bidding game where you're like, you have, uh, I think, five different products you can try to ship. And there's like a bunch of numbered cards. And then you have cargo hold space for each of them. So you want to 
like try to bid on the highest cards and you get a certain amount of, amount of money each round to bid. But then also you want to be the person who ships the most fur because if you dominate the fur market, then you get all the points from that. But so like you want to be like monopolize a single market by yourself because you get all the points for doing that. And then as soon as someone competes with you, you suddenly are in an arms race over like grain or something. It's a really interesting game. I like it a lot. Um, Sounds a little bit like a more uh, like directed uh, game of Settlers of Catan. Uh, there's no, like, engine building, really, though. So, it's it's all strategy. There's absolutely no engine to it. It's very strange. Um, I, I've never played a game quite like it before. I don't know that Settlers of Catan has an engine builder, either. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it kind of doesn't where you settle, but... But that's I it. I get what Tyler's getting at, but that also is not how I would describe it. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Catan has no engine. I don't know why I was thinking that. Anyway, um, you also can't trade with people, though, so, like, you all work oh, okay. on the same deck. It's it's a draft system, so, but you can choose to pass in exchange for keeping your money, and then you just get, like, your choice of any of the leftover cards. Oh, no. Anyway, it's a very interesting game. I highly recommend it if I can remember the goddamn name of it eventually. What games have I been playing? Uh, Min Min came out in Smash, I think, since the last time we recorded. Is that true? Um... I think so. I haven't played her, so. I know uh, we were talking about it last time we recorded, but I don't remember if... I mean, I haven't paid any attention to whether or not she was out or not. That's fair. Um, She is simultaneously, like, there's not a lot of hype around her because she's not a super interesting character to play, I think. Also, I, she's bad at 1v1, I feel like. She's actually very good at 1v1. Is she? Um, I think that's maybe her only strength. Huh. Uh, she's actually, I think, terrible at group battles, but I haven't really played a lot of group battles as her. Um. She is a super heavy spacing character, yes. and as soon as she gets off stage, she basically dies, which is not what you would expect from someone with super stretchy arms. Like, her return attack's good, it's just not good enough, usually. I was going to play her later, because I'm so on this, like, path to get all the characters into Elite by, like, actually getting good with them, and I got frustrated with the character I am currently working on, so I decided to play Min Min and immediately got her into Elite, and I think she's maybe one of my favorite characters now that I understand how the hell she plays. Who's like, the character you gave up on for temporarily? I'll, I'll get there in a second, because there's there's more following the Min Min story. Uh, but my, like her thing is basically her one of her arms can change into a light, heavier medium, um, and the your A and B button do the same thing for... Uh, tilt and smash attacks except one fires your left arm and one fires your right but before your one of your arms starts retracting you can fire the other one so you can like mix up your timing a little bit so that's really her whole thing is she's really good at spacing and she can mix up her timing in weird ways but i got her into elite i'm like you know what screw it um and then i got six other characters into elite within a week Wow, that's impressive. Yep, and then I went back to the character I was struggling with. Does anyone want to take a guess at what character in the entire Smash roster Tyler has the most trouble with and is maybe the worst player in the world for this character somehow? I'm going to say Daisy. I don't think I'm right. It just feels right. Um, I'm not great with Daisy, but I'm also not terrible with Krom? Daisy. Krom? So. No, Krom is one of my best characters, so... Um, all, I'm pretty good with all the sorties. Wolf? Wolf is also one of my best characters. He was the first character I ever got in Elite, actually. Zero Suit Samus. Uh, she took me a while to learn. She's one of my favorites now, but you're getting on the right track. Samus? No, Samus is also super easy. I, it's Meta Knight, <laughs> who is considered <laughs> one of the most OP characters in the entire game, and I cannot play him for goddamn. I fell below a million GSP, which is unheard of. Like, that is abysmally low depths with that character, because I did not understand his spacing at all. Um, I am now finally getting into the range where I'm like probably six wins in a row away from getting him into Elite, but I struggled 
for so long. And part of the problem, I realize this, this is the same problem I have with more technical 2D fighters, or I guess more traditional 2D fighters, is my fingers are just too slow to play Meta Knight properly. <laughs> so what one of the things that makes him super powerful, in addition to being super fast, is that he has a, if you are good at reading and also fairly good at like technical button inputs, what is called a ladder combo, where basically you ladder an opponent upwards by attacking them and then hopping up and then attacking them and doing that before they can react until they just die. There is a very narrow range of percentage that you can start an opponent at to do the combo, and they have a lot of ways to get out of it, but if you're good at reading it, it is a guaranteed kill. I have never, even in training mode, been ever able to accomplish one of these. So I've decided to just fall back on my old strategy of be better at strategy and spacing and use this character who does two damage every hit to get opponents up to about 200% while I die at about 60 from regular smash attacks from Daisy. This well, will not help you with smash. The reason I went to uh, Fight Stick is that it's way easier on the fingers. Because you devote an entire finger to a button, you don't have to move this kludgy, slow thumb from one button to the other. Yeah, and I was actually, I was describing the reason I'm never going to be a professional video gamer to Alex, and that is that my hands just can't move that fast. You are too old now. Also that, yeah, your reflexes do diminish as you get older. But other than that, um, like, really, my fingers have never been particularly dexterous. I am just much better at spacing and timing than I think a lot of people who are actually good. Well, <laughs> I would say that the more important thing is to understand, like, the back end of games rather than be able to ref uh, to reflex your way out of trouble because you're going to be better in general if you can do both. But you're going to have it longer if you can... Uh, understand how it works well like true professionals understand the strategy understand spacing understand timing understand mind games but they can also do those ridiculous combos well, to capitalize on punishing people. that's why they're professionals exactly. they're the best out there like um, but your average joe if you can only pick one pick understanding because then you can beat the dude who can reflex his way out of a problem historically no <laughs> <laughs> At least from my perspective, um, especially in like shooters, I feel like reflexes are a lot better than strategy if you're in a straight, like if you're just like encountering each other down the end of a long hallway, reflexes win. Shooters um, are also a weird outlier because most of the time it's the one hit kill type of situation. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, I can't do any of the combos with Meta Knight, so I'm left trying to get, and he doesn't have great kill power. Um, so I'm left getting opponents up to, like, plus 150% damage every single time while I die at ridiculously low percentages. And That's why I enjoy success on Ike. I can't play anything else, but I only need to hit you once, Dex Nerd. And his range is so short, he fights with a toothpick. It's... <laughs> I know, that's why, I, like I said, that's why I like Ike. I can hit half the, I can hit half the map with one swing, and I only need to hit you once. Anything else, Tyler? Have I mentioned ketchup chips? I don't thinks so. doesn't sound familiar <laughs> so the lawn dark the don't freeze to death in canada simulator uh for canada day released a limited time event where if you do a couple things you get some badges and badges in that game give you perks in survival mode i had almost all of them unlocked when the save data got corrupted and then i lost all of them and reverted back to like two years ago save data somehow oh, yeah. So I'm like slowly earning them back. Anyway, so I decided to partake in this event. And one of the badges that you need, or in order to earn one of the badges, you need to consume over the course of the event, not necessarily in a single game, 25 bottles of maple syrup and 25 bags of ketchup flavored potato chips, which are apparently a favorite in most of Canada. So I've been slowly working my way across the frozen waste, searching for ketchup flavored potato chips. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly curious. Have you played any Berseria lately? 
I have not. I have actually not been playing a ton of games lately. Like Jeremy, I get depressed in the middle of the summer, and I've only just in, like, the past two days kind of come out of a funk I've been in for, like, three months, so. Ironically, um, I hate this time of year, but not because I get depressed. Also, it's really hot. That's I why I hate this time of year. That That's mostly why I hate this time of year, but then also I, d- I think I'm not as physically active as I am in the winter, which probably, like, feeds into my depression. Anyway, moral of the story, I haven't really been playing a lot of games, and... When I had, like, I haven't been playing Animal Crossing because it's, like, weirdly been causing me anxiety. I'm like, oh, no, I have to go weed my gardens. Well, Ah." I think it's kind of the same thing that you get anxiety when you're playing Persona is that it becomes more of a... It's too real. It feels like an (laughs) obligation. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to let people down by not doing it. Therefore, you dither and not do it. Exactly. Yes. Um, Which was my real life. Also, although... Mine, too. I'm weirdly better at coping with that in my real life. So I don't know. Um, well, that's why it's such a problem in the game is because you're coping with it in real life. And then the game is like, hey, you should do this. And you're like, do more of it. But this is how this, this is what I'm playing games to get away from. That's a good point. Um, I also played a reasonable amount of the assignment. So which is Ocarina of Time. One of the most critically praised video games of all time came out in 1998, which is kind of a big year for video games. Some would say the biggest ever. I want to take 2009 as a contender, too. 2009. Yeah, I can't remember why, but I want to say that it had a bunch of important games. Well, continue for a moment while I go and look those up. What else was in 98? uh, StarCraft, Final Fantasy VII, Half-Life, and there's one other big one that is escaping me right now. Besides this one. Yeah, Metal Gear Solid, Thief, those weren't what I was thinking of. Jeez, you know what games came out in 2009? Because, man, um, Assassin's Creed II, arguably the first good one. Um, Arkham Asylum, Left 4 Dead 2... Uh, Uncharted, eh. Modern Warfare 2. Okay, so it's actually a couple of years. I think 2007 is actually far more... Bayonetta. Of what you were thinking Borderlands. 2007 doesn't have much. Minecraft officially released. This is the year I was, I think, thinking of. But it might have been 2008 also. ODST. I was thinking, I think 2007 is when Modern Warfare came out. League of Legends came out in 2009. Okay, 2009 might be up there. I want to say Dragon Age also came out in 2009. Although not I might that, be wrong. Not as far as I can tell, Demon's Souls, which is like a notable mention, I guess. Well, Demon's Souls so led into Dark Souls. Came out Souls this year, but see, that, that's crap. the problem is at about 2007, I, really 2008, like every video game comes out every year. I mean, a lot of these I hadn't even heard of. Uh, yeah, but like 07, what is it? Modern Warfare? Bioshock, Portal, uh, okay. Super Mario Galaxy. Is that in 07? Yep. Halo 3, the original Assassin's Creed, the first Witcher, Mass Effect. TF2, a lot of shit okay. happened in 2007. Maybe uh, 7 is a more important year. I think of that as the year where Xbox still doesn't know what it's doing. Nothing's come out on PS3 yet, and the Wii is starting to fade. But No, I, I think 2007, Xbox knew, the 360 knew what it was doing. It was just, and it was just starting to get into the red ring problem. Anyway. Yeah, not, not germane to the not, current not, conversation. Not irrelevant to 98. Uh, I'm, but there is an argument for 98, is what I'll say, as the most important game year in the history of video games. And Ocarina is a big part of that. It's a game that's difficult to talk about because of its legacy in some oh, ways. Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie is a good one. Uh, not one I would have been thinking of. I don't think that's a revelatory game. Is Fair. Goldeneye or 1998? No, I feel like that came out slightly that might be later. 97. The movie's 96, so the game being 97 would make sense. Yeah, not Wasn't it about the same time uh, 60, Mario 64 came out? Mario 64 is uh, 96. With the launch of the N64, right? Yeah. 
you know, there's not a ton that looks like it was great that came out in night or like super. There, actually, there were a lot of good games that came out in '98, but none of them were, are like super revolutionary. I think, other than StarCraft, Half Life, arguably, and Ocarina. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Metal Gear Solid is '98 as well. Oh, that's yeah, a, also Metal Gear Solid. Th- that's yeah. a very important game, whether it's a good game or not. Is Symphony of the Night also '98? That one feels like '97 to me, but. Um, I feel like it is 97. Let's find out. I have that on my phone right now, and it's actually <laughs> pretty good. Um, it's $2, by the way, on your phone. I think I would want to kill myself after playing Symphony of the Night on my phone. They for mapped the controls really well. Uh, also, that was 97, yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Ocarina of Time. Nintendo was, like, weirdly, I don't want to say privileged, but they were the one company that actually succeeded at transitioning games from 2D to 3D. And by games, I mean franchises, really. Um, And part of that, I think, is they chose the ones they knew would work. I think there's a reason we never got that N64 Metroid. And Nintendo finally said, hey, we can't do it. You do it, other guys. Well, Uh, And um, with the ones that they did choose to do it, they didn't go a whole cloth and stop making the other ones, really. They kept making the, the 2D versions of them. There was a pretty long break, though, because Ocarina of Time is 98. Link's Awakening, the game before it, is 93. So that's a five year gap where that's all they're making. And it's not until they start having success with re-releasing 2D games on their mobile platforms and they run out of backlog that they actually start, hey, why don't we make games like this again? Like oh, the okay. Minish Cap. Or... Yeah. I'm just familiar with them how they do it now, um, mm-hmm. where they're basically making a 3D and a 2D game at like the same side time. By side, yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely, especially with Mario, how they do it now. It'll be interesting to see how they do it going forward, now that they only have one platform. Wait, okay, so really quick speculation. How long until Mario VR? Because it will happen. I don't think it'll happen. It seems like it would have happened already is the problem. They already tried that. I don't think they're going to want to go back to it for a while. That was a long time ago, though. I think it also (laughs) almost bankrupted the company. They're not going to want (laughs) to touch that for a while. That's fair. I I don't even know what platform Nintendo would develop that on. It would would, be their own, right? And then why? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The Switch, I can understand trying to turn it into a VR machine, but it doesn't seem to be the way the company's going. I mean, right? they could make a headset that you could socket the screen yeah, into exactly. pretty easily, but I don't think they want to do that. I agree on both points. I feel like Zelda's the best at it, though, right? Because 3D Mario's feel so different. And eventually, when they really start making 2D Zeldas, they start to diverge. But Ocarina of Time really feels like a link to the past in 3D in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true, especially with like the big overworld and, like, a bunch of, like, connecting, like, terminal pads. I had never really thought of it that way, but, yeah, the map design is actually fairly similar. Yeah, so I guess we'll just start. I I have a list of topics we want to talk about, starting with the pacing of Ocarina of Time, because I find it very interesting. I talk a lot about how I feel like this is a thing I say and maybe should believe more. Like, Persona is one of my favorite games of all time, and that's all about the writing. But video game stories are bad is also a thing I think is generally true. And I think Ocarina of Time for me, is kind of exactly how much story I want, which is a couple paragraphs up front and then a few revelations in the middle. See, that's where it's a little bit different for me because like, I want a lot more story and I usually have a lot more story in the games I like to play because I want to get invested in the characters and hear... Like tactics RPGs, for example, are like almost entirely dialogue. It's like here, it's like, hey, look, here's our guy. And I'm like, neat, why should I care? And they're like... Because he's been having bad dreams. Because we're not going to tell you. Because, like, that's just a 
because you bought the game. Yeah, you, you bought it, you so why? You 50 bucks on this game. I will say that I think Ocarina doesn't have a bad plot hook. Like, I agree. It's just, it's very generic, right? Especially it's very generic, yes. Cart, uh, you know, he's kind of a weird chosen one. He's this ostracized kid who doesn't have a fairy and then one day gets one. It's just enough for me. But you're never, re- like, you're told, kind of, that he's ostracized, but only one guy in the village doesn't like him. Yes. And it's just well, that one guy. The, the problem I have, at least from the when it's starting up, is because you have to find the sword and, and buy the shield. So it's a starts you off not on, like, here's the hook for the game. It's go find your stuff. Yeah, because it's supposed to be a tutorial, right? And, like, it's supposed to teach you the mechanics of, like, here's how you navigate a 3D environment. You've never done that before. But yeah. it, I think that in particular didn't age well, Kakariko, or, uh, yeah, Kokori. Kokori Village specifically, I don't think, aged super well. Uh, because it's super slow, right? It's I, super slow, and it's, like... It's super slow, and it doesn't feel like there's a really a reason for it. Because, like, Persona 5, going back to Persona, starts really slow, but it's almost all character beats really early. So, like, it's getting you invested in these characters and why should I care about them? Here it's, go find your stuff and no, I'm not going to tell you where I, where I hit it. Well, it's mostly, like, go explore around, but the area is not really big or interesting. Yeah, I agree with you on both points. Ironically, though, I feel like Zelda gets out of control with these zones in the future. Like, Ocarina of Time is so brief and blissful with its tutorial compared to Twilight Princess and the eternity of Skyward Sword where you go to boarding school for four years in order to learn how to press B to swing sword. Isn't Twilight Princess's thing like an hour long? It's longer than this. I want to say about an hour, yeah. And Skyward Sword is longer than that because it's all dialogue and story, which is why Skyward Sword has the best story of any Zelda game and why I never want to play it again. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it took me about an hour to get all the way through the first, like, quote-unquote dungeon in this, and that was after I looked up where to get the sword because I couldn't find it. Through the hole, obviously. Well, I went Past to the, the fence. I went to like the lo- tried to go to the like the lost woods where they all changed direction because I thought it was over there. Gotcha. Because hey. I remember going through a maze, but it was a maze on the that you go through the the hole on the other side. Yeah, and maze is a very generous term. Yeah, maze for that. is a generous it term. It's avoid the big rock. Um. So a thing about this game that's like never going to not be true. I wanted to replay this entire game, so I didn't just do it on nostalgia. But a truth about this game is it's just in my blood. Like, there were a thousand times where I'm like, I don't know which way to go. And I went the right way, because yes, you do, Jeremy. You just don't remember that you know the way to go. So there are things like that that just are baked in. So can you go to the Lost Woods when it starts up? Yep. I would have expected they would prevent you from going. No, you can go in there. There aren't any enemies when you can first go in. It just seems like, especially modern Nintendo, but I think it would have been a good choice for them to prevent you from going in. The only things that can attack you are the stall children, and they do not attack unless you attack first, and you can't because you have no weapons. Well, yeah, that's fine. That's a good choice. The thing is, there is no reason to go into the Lost nope. Woods. No, there's no reason on. to go in there, and that's what I found out when I went in there and couldn't find it, and then eventually just looked up, where am I supposed to go to find this? Whereas overall, one thing Ocarina of Time I think is good with design-wise is constricting you to areas where you can accomplish things. I'm trying to think, like, what really opens up the map for you, and it's nothing in particular because all the items actually serve, like... Funny-shaped keys? Yeah. I, I think we'll probably get to that later, but I think they're better than funny-shaped keys on average, but... Yeah, it's there's also a weird thing where Ocarina of Time has a prescribed order, but there is some sequence breaking you can do without having to cheat the game. Like, you can do the Water Temple as soon as you're done with the Forest Temple if you want, you don't have to do the fire temple. The game just never directs you to go there. It hits you over the head and says, go to the fire temple. 
So that is what most people do. But you don't have to, right? Yeah. So. But there are only very small points of that. You can skip the Fire Temple, for example, there. You have to do the Water Temple before the next two temples will unlock. The Shadow Temple in a very beat-you-over-the-head way, where Sheik will not give you the song to get in until you've completed the Water Temple. The Spirit Temple in a more funny-shaped key way of you need the long shot to get there. So yeah, the pacing of the game is, like I said, for me, it really works, but I think all of Zach's criticisms are pretty fair. The story is incredibly bare-bones. It's the same sort of storytelling logic as you making up a fairy tale for your child, which I think gives it a charm, but it's not a character story. Zelda does have this weird, like, god complex that ends up ending tragically for her, if you really want to analyze it, but it that is said in about 20 lines of dialogue she has maybe throughout the game. Well, it's it's a pretty basic adventure adventure plot line thing. It's here's the chosen hero. He's going to go save the world. Like, generally speaking, that's okay. I just personally, I would like more story in my video games. What's kind of nice about it, at least this is the first time I ever really saw that subverted because you do actually fail. And then you have to come and clean up your own mistakes seven years later. Yeah, it's the very but, JRPG failure, right? Yeah. Of like, oh, you actually helped the villain in this weird way. And, and you have to come back for round two. Yeah. It's always bothered me, the mechanics of it. Like, divine fate is actually what screws you, not your own actions. Like, because, like, you're not old enough to stop Ganondorf. You have to sleep for seven years while Ganondorf goes and screws everything up. Okay, now you're old enough now that your enemy has gained complete power in his foothold. So now you can go out and participate in round two. Now that you're, uh, they've got one of those, like, little... Measuring things, it says you must be at least this tall to save the world. Yes, that's basically the problem. And so you have wait in line for the Master Sword Coaster for seven years. I was actually going to say you must be this buff to wield the Master Sword. <laughs> it's Isn't actually that how it works in uh, Breath of the Wild? You must be this healthy to tank the health drain? Yeah. yeah. What I really appreciate is the way this game gets out of your way, though. Like, the original Zelda, people are always romanticizing it for the way you can tackle it in any order. And I think there's a reason that people are drawn to that idea. I like this game has a much more prescribed path. Like I talked about, there is a little bit of sequence breaking you can do, but also it's not really intended. But also, I think and this is a lot of this is nostalgia, if I'm being entirely honest. It is a game that if you just want to go explore around the field, it will reward you for that in a lot of minor ways. Things like the Gold Skulltulas, which are basically the collection thing that we have in every game now. You only really need 10 of them, though, and yeah. then you can ignore them for the rest of the game. You don't even need 10 of them. You don't need the adult wallet to Do finish not? the game. It makes it much easier. Huh. But everything that requires at least 200 worthies to purchase, you can get for free somewhere. Interesting. So it's kind of more of a convenience thing to take them all out? Yeah. Yep. Um, and there are better rewards of, other than that, too. But the ten, the first reward, the one for 10, is probably the most critical in the game. There are, I think there are places in the game where you can get stuck if you haven't done that. Um, or it's, it's possible if you just haven't done that particular part. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, then you can just do that part. It's not like you're permanently stuck. You are just at a roadblock. Oh, so it's not like you got into a room that you need yeah. that thing to get back out of or something like that. Well, especially because of the way the save function works. I mean, that's one nice thing about that, but it does make it difficult to find where you were if you come back a while later. Yep. Yeah, I found the save feature to be incredible as a kid, but it's nothing compared to what we have now because you can save at any point. And it'll save your progress through the dungeon, like any puzzles you have solved will remain solved. Anything you've done in the overworld will remain solved. But when you load back up, you're either at the start of the dungeon you're at, your house if you're a kid, or the Temple of Time if you're an adult. 
Well, being able to save anywhere is, was a phenomenal thing, because I don't think a lot of games included that at the time. Certainly not console games. It was pretty common in PC yeah. games. Well, I mean, console know. games didn't include it. It was like, you have to you have to get to the checkpoint to save it, like a save point or a specific area. Like Ogre Battle, you could suspend in battle, but if you wanted to actually save, you had to be on the world map. And I think this game gets out of your way and lets you do some adventuring. I think there are some very nice mechanics. We talked last week about Final Fantasy VII just feeling like it was a bunch of games developed at once that got sewn on to Final Fantasy VII. I think Ocarina of Time had some similar development, but they feel much better integrated. This is the first game I'm aware of. I'm sure there were ones before it. I absolutely know there were. But with a day-night cycle that worked like this, and I actually think that's like a very cool thing about it. Practically speaking, it doesn't work super well all the time because oftentimes you're just waiting for the castle gate to open or you're rushing across the field before the enemies spawn. But it does like add that sense of adventure that I feel like the original Zelda had. The very first thing I tried to do was go get the Sun Son until I realized that I needed Zelda's lullaby to go get it. Then I went and got that and then got the Sun Son because, man, having control over that is absolutely vital. So it's a cool feature to have that you actually have a day and night cycle because, like Jeremy said, it does add to the adventure. Usually I prefer a game to have a bit more of a guide on it. Like Dead Space, I know, included, like, if you hit a button, your guy would basically show you need to go that way. But you, but it was entirely optional. Like, that kind of thing I think would do wonders to help out a lot of the older adventure like, games. Like a lot of Elder Scrolls games do that, right? Like, you can put a marker on your compass and you can go that way. But it still lets you explore the, the area. Here's, like, you can explore everywhere and it feels like the adventure, but it is possible to just not know exactly where you need to go. Uh, the thing is, though, Nintendo, I think, was absolutely terrified of players quitting because of that. So they made sure that every two minutes, a little fairy would be like, Hey, idiot! Press C up so I can tell you where you're supposed to go! Hey, dumbass! C up! Listen! And I think Navi was actually a very good design choice. I agree, actually. That gets a lot of shit because she's kind of annoying. Especially if you're someone who does know where they're going, or who has deliberately decided... No, I, I'll go hang out with the Gorns in a minute. I want to see what's up with these magic beans. Yeah, I mean, that's entirely fair. Like, that is the very prototype. She just gets, like you said, yeah. a lot of flack because people going and playing the game for the 10th time don't need to know because they know where they're going. And people who just want to explore just want the thing to shut the f*** and get out of the way. Speaking of how well integrated the random minigames are in this, this is the very first time I ever actually got good at bomb true bowling. Uh, oh, I, I actually skipped it this time, but I, well, as a kid, that was one of my favorite ones. I always dreaded it because I felt like it was, like, wait, like, the controls were way too finicky, and for whatever reason, it was super easy for me this run. Isn't there also, like, a horse riding? There, yeah. yeah. Horse race? Yeah, there's a horse race, there's also, like, shooting targets from horseback, um, and also, talking about things that just feel like they were thrown in, the horseback riding, which is kind of, it's not really the game's fast travel, the game has actual fast travel, but it is, you know, the vehicle that lets you get across the planes much faster it really feels like they just had a horse game that you know wasn't quite good enough to be a full horse game but was certainly good enough to put here and it adds this element of you being a cool knight on horseback for a little bit to add to the fantasy sounds a little bit like how it works in the elder scrolls games other than <laughs> you know hey look i'm on a horse it's basically useless yep you like especially as you get late game and you get a bunch of teleportation points opponent becomes increasingly useless because you can just teleport wherever I think that's also the only minigame that you mandatorily have to do. Because you don't have to get Epina. Yeah, you do. You have to jump a bridge. You can use the long shot to get across that bridge can if you, you get, don't have Epina. Can you get the long shot with... Yeah. Huh. It lets you finish the Begoran quest much faster. 
Because if you get a pet, if the first thing you do when you become an adult is get the Pona, the next thing you can do is get the Begoron sword. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that you could get yeah. over that bridge. I, as a kid, a I didn't know how to get a Pona. Oh, neat. And I had beaten the game without her. Okay, well, never mind then. It's just a way that, like, that is a lock with two funny shaped keys, and either one will get you across. Um, it's actually good design, in my opinion. It's also kind of satisfying because Melon's also one of the, like, only interesting characters that you yes. care about. So. They do a great job, for example, making her stand out in the market square because you have to talk to her in order for the game to progress and she stands out from the crowd a lot. She's also out on her own. Uh, that's another thing I just want to give this game. The ambiance in the market square, I think, is incredible. Like the song they have playing there, it's not a great song, but it just gives it exactly the right like carnival feel, which makes it so much stronger when you go there as an adult and, and it's, it's just destroyed. a zombie town. Yeah, I just think there are lots of good like polish moments like that that Ocarina of Time has. I also want to talk about the Ocarina because I think it's like a prototype for a lot of stuff in video games later. It's the fast travel system. And so instead of just like going to a menu, they came up with this reason that, you know, you use spells you to teleport music. places. It's a little overly complex and fiddly compared to that, but it like doesn't break your immersion at all the way that sometimes pausing the menu and going to a load screen can. It's also the only reason why anybody knows what an Ocarina is. Yep. You're, you're right about the fact that Sometimes, you know, pressing start on, like, Skyrim and being like, I need to go to this town, so I'm going to fast travel over there instead of walking. Although, granted, walking from town to town in an Elder Scrolls game, like, I hope you got some time. That'll take a while. Well, that's because you get sidetracked by literally every single cave on the way there, and then you get attacked by a dragon or something. Um, then they're, all, they're also still really far apart. Yeah. Also that, yeah. Memorizing all the songs is annoying, but I think it's super smart design to basically have the command menu as this magical music. I find it really charming, actually. Uh, it's... I, I do too, but I can see the criticism of it's clunky. I would rather just have the wait command from Skyrim than have to play the sun song to change the day. I, I agree with you. I find it charming, and like it just feels like it's part of the world. Um, Once you get them, though, they're listed in like your yes. book, so it'll tell you how to do them. Can't you? Can you actually use them before you know what they are? No, no, not in this one. Uh, there are some in Majora's Mask that let you do that. But really, uh, which ones? They're the the modified uh, Song of Times. Oh well, you never get those officially. No, Scarecrow you, just tells you them. You are correct, but you there is a place in the game that tells you them, and you yes. don't have to actually learn them. So yeah, I just think that Ocarina is like one of the smartest pieces of design in a very smart game, and also lots of the songs are catchy. They're not all great. And I do think the ocarina is at its worst the couple of times they use it as a funny shaped key because having to play a song to open a door, it's charming a couple times. Like the time where you open the door to time with that, which is a huge story moment, I wouldn't trade for anything. But lots of the individual dungeon puzzles, like to change the water level in uh, the water temple, you have to go to the spot and play Zelda's Lullaby. Which is one of the weakest songs in the entire game, in my opinion. Well, that and it's also the easiest to learn, but later games you would just hit a switch and that would have been fine. Yep. Speaking of the music in Ocarina, which I think is actually pretty, like, I think there are a lot of really memorable tracks in this. Did you know that the opening title was supposed to be basically a uh, transcribed version of Bolero, but it had not entered public domain yet? So the composer whipped something out in a half hour, and that's the title screen music? <laughs> Explains why they didn't use the Zelda theme. Uh-huh. And that's also why the music's nowhere else in the game is because they had already finished the entire rest of the game when they found out that they were violating copyright with it. So <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it was really funny. I learned that, like, last week, completely unrelated to this. So. so let's talk about the dungeons a bit. It's difficult for me to talk about Zelda dungeons without referencing... Other Zelda dungeons? No, the uh, Boss Key series by the Game Maker's Toolkit YouTube channel, which I do recommend you check out. He basically went through every Zelda dungeon and came up with a graph system for them. 
interesting. Uh, they've come up in my recommendations before, but I've never actually bothered to go watch one. Ocarina of Time's dungeons are at this really interesting fulcrum point in Zelda, where they're definitely easier than previous games. They're about to get harder, and then slam hard onto much easier after that. That's a weird way to do dungeon design. Well, I, I mean, like, game to game. Like, because starting with Wind Waker, Zelda dungeons just get way easier. And it seems like Majora's Mask's dungeon design was like, let's iterate off Ocarina of Time. We can do more complex 3D dungeons now. And I feel like the dungeons in Majora's Mask are all pretty solid. I don't like the first one, but other than that, I agree with you. That fourth dungeon where you're flipping the ceiling, up, very good. But we're talking about Ocarina right now, which does the interesting thing of dividing the kids' dungeons and the adult dungeons, and in the kid dungeons, you have no keys. They're all basically straight shots through puzzle rooms. Huh, I didn't even consider that, yeah. I mean, uh, Dodongo's Cavern is go to the right through puzzle rooms, then go to the left. So I it's just not forgot that there were shot. no keys, though? That never even occurred to me. Anyway. Then when you are an adult, they start to introduce them. And the Forest Temple feels a lot like a Link to the Past dungeon where you have to find a certain number of keys to go through doors. But it does have design where you can never encounter more than one locked door at a time. It says when you know the critical path, it becomes a very odd dungeon because it's basically just go get three keys, go get the bow, go get the last key. Huh. But when you don't know that, you're exploring a lot more and the keys become exciting. But they didn't want you to ever be able to get in a situation where you didn't, where you accidentally didn't have enough keys. So there's never a choice of which door you want to unlock, which I find a bit weak, personally speaking. Um, I mean, but on the other hand, that's good design because it means you can't get stuck permanently in a specific area. But there are plenty of dungeons in previous Zelda games where both are true. Like a lot of them, I, I think one of my favorite mechanics from like the 2D uh, dungeons is the alternating blocking tile things. I don't know what you call them. Yeah. You hit a switch and red ones pop up. You hit the switch again and blue ones pop up and the red ones go down. And like, I wish there was something at, that required as much thought as that anywhere in this game. I think the water temple does. That's probably the closest. Yeah. We've made a bunch of uh, offhand references to the fact that Zelda items are kind of just funny shaped keys. So we should talk about that more in depth. They are definitely. The thing about Zelda items is they are a funny shaped key that can potentially open many different doors. If you find a small key, that is, in theory, there are a large number of small keys that open a large number of locks, right? I, I think that's why everyone likes a hookshot yeah. so much, right? Is because it suddenly everything's a door. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> as opposed to certain other games where the funny-shaped key opens one specific door and that's all it does for the entire game, these funny-shaped keys open doors, but they also let you do a whole host of other things, like with the hookshot, yes, it can open up a lot of other paths. Or you can just screw around in a town jumping on roofs and playing Spider-Man for a little bit. Yes. Like, it's not... Well, because suddenly those roofs are doors, right? And now now you're on top of the door. <laughs> I mean, you can't really do anything when you're up there, but, but hey, look, so, I'm on the roof. But sometimes there's stu stuff in the, up there, and I think that's... Like, that, I think, that, and also playing a lot of, like, dungeon crawlers has inculcated in me a lot of, like, let's not actually go do the plot, let's around on the roof for a while in case there's a treasure chest up here. And I think this is the first game where they started doing a lot of that. And the hookshot's the best example, because in addition to those two things, it's also a ranged weapon you have. A reusable ranged weapon that doesn't use ammo. Yes. Because you have the bow before that. Oh, you get the bow after the hookshot in Ocarina of Time, my friend. You Do have you? to get the hookshot to enter the forest temple. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, never mind. In contrast, you have things like the Megaton Hammer, which opens, I think, three switches in the entire game. Two of which are in the dungeon where you get it. No four, because there's one in Ganon's castle. 
and one in the spirit temple. It's also technically stronger than the master sword. Yes, but it's so kludgy and hard to use. Yeah, it's unwieldy. It's not practical in this game, where the combat is very stilted. I like the combat in the Zelda series, pre-Breath of the Wild, where I think it changes a lot, starting here, the 3D Zeldas. But it is very lock-on, have a duel with this thing, watch for its tells slash. It's serviceable. It's certainly no Devil May Cry or Dark Souls. But I do think it works fine. I really like the way the shield works in this game, where you're basically invincible as long as you're shielding. But that means you can't do anything else, because that's how the enemies work, too. They're basically invincible until they attack, so you need to learn what their attack tell is and attack them at the right time. So long as it maintains consistency with that shielding thing, it works perfectly fine. I've always had a problem with games that are like, yes, you're invincible while doing this particular thing unless we decide that's not the case. Like, the few exceptions to it are like, if you're wielding a wooden shield, fire will just burn it, so eventually you have no more shield. Yeah, but that's also kind of easy to understand. Like sometimes Oh yeah, no, it's totally intuitive. Some uh, games are like, yes, you're invincible or do it you're you can do whatever, you know, this particular thing is until we say otherwise and you're like, you just like screwed me sideways and didn't tell me anything. And the usually, game's like too bad. Yeah, and the and Ocarina is usually pretty well telegraphed as something will break your shield. Like King Dodongo, which is like many, many, many times bigger than you will just roll over you. You can't shield that because it's you can with the Hillian shield, he will roll right over. Can you? That's amazing. You can roly-poly his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried, honestly. <laughs> That's amazing. But after the Forest Temple, the Fire Temple is a very simple dungeon where it's a series of rooms with two keys, followed by basically airlocks that are a, a, a locked door that leads into a hallway with a locked door, which is less interesting. Then you have the Water Temple. I'm going to take the controversial stand, best dungeon in the game but also most frustrating dungeon in the game. So there's a reason people don't like that one. It's also poorly placed because you absolutely have to do it before you do the next two, which are both basically straight shot, just go to room, solve puzzle or fight enemy, go to next room with almost no backtracking. When there is backtracking, it's literally, there's a fork. On the left is a door you can go through. On the right is a locked door. Guess what's in the room on the left? (laughs) Even as a kid playing the Shadow Temple for the first time, I realized it was just incredibly linear and simple compared to what had come before. The Spirit Temple has the interesting gimmick where you have to go in it as a kid and then as an adult, which is a cool use of that mechanic. But there's nothing you do in it as a kid that affects it as an adult, which is probably because it's so clunky to change between those two states. And it would really suck for you to change and then realize you needed to do it again. Speaking of, the central gimmick of the game is there are basically two worlds. One that's seven years in the future where you're an adult. One where you're young. I think it's a super cool idea because if you're an adult, you do not care. And if you're a kid, you just spend the entire game looking forward to being an adult. Just like real people. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's when you're a kid, you're looking forward to being an adult. When you're an adult, you're looking forward to being a kid. Yeah, Link pulls out the Maxter sword and like, fooled you, now you have to pay taxes! <laughs> uh, it was Ganon's Check your true 401k! My what? I never got a job! Uh, you spent seven years sleeping, you have no life skills! Well, that's why he never talks, is because he's just extremely socially awkward, because he was shunned as a child and then never grew up being socialized. I do kind of like the way it treats time travel, because sometimes it's grandfather paradox, and sometimes it's just, nah, whatever, you just affect the past, and now and now that's in the future. Yeah, I feel like they hit all the fantasy points, right? My favorite thing is the magic beads, which are totally optional. 
You can buy them as a kid and plant them in certain places. And if you do, as an adult, there's a platform there that will take you to a secret. What I love, though, is that the guy who's selling the beans increases the prices based on demand, but you're the only person buying them. Yes. And also he's like, they're entirely useless, but they're really not, but only because you can time travel. I really like that. (laughs) And that's a super cool thing. And then there's the Song of Storms paradox, right? Which is also cool. Where as an adult, you you whip out your ocarina and this guy's like, this damn kid played this song and it everything up let me teach you that song so that you can become the (laughs) damned kid kind of um but also there are other times when time travel doesn't work that way and it's just like the thing in the future doesn't happen unless well i guess the beans are that right the thing in the future doesn't happen unless you do it in the past Uh uh-huh Whereas sometimes it's the thing already happened because it's a closed loop. I like the fact that it's inconsistent because eh, screw rules. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It's time travel. I've always magic. heard that is the bootstrap paradox. Yeah, it's all bootstrap paradoxes. The I think actual name for it. I don't know about time travel paradoxes. I'm not a time travelologist. Huh. I just realized it's oddly speci- uh, that's oddly good timing that I was watching Steins Gate this morning. That's a good point. And all yeah. day. It's hard to understate Ocarina of Time's legacy. It's a game I feel like more developers need to play and take lessons from, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of them have. I feel like a lot of them feel like they already did and missed the point is the bigger problem, but it's a game that gets speedrun to this day. I don't super love Ocarina of Time speedruns because it's really how much of the game can I skip, and those sorts of speedruns don't appeal to me, though I do understand of course, that's what's going to happen. I think a lot of the speedruns that are like any percent runs are just how much of the game can I skip? Yeah. Which is why the ones that are like 100%ing games and whatnot yeah, are just far really, more really interesting. Good. I agree. Those are the ones I have. Because they still have to with. use glitches and whatnot to be faster, but they but they still have to hit everything. Breath of the Wild speedruns are some of my favorite because there were some physics that they did not expect, and it gets really silly really Didn't fast. Didn't you find one of the Ocarina where the guy was playing it like yes. completely straight? So it's like, yeah. I don't know why they put Dungeons six after dungeon two but it was actually linked to the past that was not a ocarina but yes and also lots of games just clearly draw influence from it there are a few camera problems in ocarina of time that never happened again because everybody played ocarina of time and realized don't do that well also uh, mario 64 yeah also helped to fix the camera i actually feel like mario 64's camera might have been better because you've got control over it exactly in a more way and, you know, it's a shackle for the Zelda series for the rest of the time, where people were always saying, hey, you're just making Ocarina of Time again, until they made Breath of the Wild. Where they made a Zelda-themed Dark Souls, or tried <laughs> to. It's not very Dark Souls. Yeah, I also <laughs> do not think it's very Dark Souls. But that's a discussion for another time, namely the past, where we already <laughs> had it. <laughs> yeah, where we already had it. Um... Is there anything else you guys want to say about Ocarina of Time? I played it to completion this time, and I'm super glad I did. I probably haven't done that for 20 years. Um, I was really afraid that it wasn't going to hold up, but really for me, it did. What I will say, so as much as I do like this game, this is probably my least favorite Zelda to come back to, just because I feel like every other iteration is better in some way. (laughs) It's not as much fun for me to play anymore, and there is so much waiting in this game by comparison to other iterations in the franchise. Like, you have to wait for day-night cycles, a lot of the enemy fights resolve to just wait until they expose themselves. But it is still a fun adventure romp, I just prefer other flavors of it a lot more. I understand why this game is seen as very important, but like a lot of the other games that we've been on here, like, especially the Zeldas we've played, I couldn't get into this game. I tried, and it just, it didn't do anything to really hook me and pull me in, so, like, I'd probably give it a pass. I, I do think it captures the feel of epic fantasy adventure better than a lot of... Like, there is no other game like this at the time that I'm aware of. There are, there are 
things with different skins that are kind of similar, but... Even though they're more structured in a way, I feel like, that which doesn't make them worse, but, but it, it does doesn't make this the, unique. It doesn't capture the feeling of adventure as much, and that's what I liked a lot about this era of 3D games, is that a lot of them feel like adventure, and now adventure needs to be like epic fantasy, like, fight all the bandits in a cave all the time. So, so. speaking of fighting all the bandits <laughs> in the cave at a time, we have a list on our website, www.lastpodcast.com, listing all the games we've played, from most bandits to least. Chrono Trigger has all the bandits. You travel through time and kill them all. You kind of do, actually. <laughs> I made the world a better place through my time travel. How'd you do that? By genociding all bandits in every timeline. <laughs> City Connection has no bandits because through the evils of capitalism, City of Connection takes place in a world where bandits are now legal and cannot be fought. <laughs> Alternatively, you are the bandits? In the center, we have Kirby's Dreamland. You are definitely the bandit. I don't think and you does. eat other bandits. As much as I did not really care for Ocarina of Time, this game definitely goes a lot closer to Chrono Trigger than it does City Connection. Yeah, <laughs> the first point of comparison, I think, has to be A Link to the Past. This game is in some ways more influential for being 3D. It takes a greater stride, but also I don't fully agree with Tyler saying this is my least favorite one to revisit, but I do think A Link to the Past holds up a little better. I agree. We didn't touch on it a ton, but like one of the things I felt early on, I think partially because they just had a big 3D landscape and they couldn't populate it, like a lot of Ocarina of Time feels fairly empty until you get into narrow corridors, and Link to the Past never feels empty, but I think that's partially just because the screens are segmented. Anyway, um, I do think I prefer Link to the Past. Not too much below that, we have Link's Awakening, which is a super hard comparison for me. These were the first two Zelda games I played. I played them kind of back to back. I think I finished Ocarina before I finished Link's Awakening, but I definitely started Link's Awakening first. Link's Awakening has a better story punch. It's also got some really well-designed dungeons. It does. You've played uh, it more recently than me with the remake. I have, which also definitely has some god-dang-it moments, but so does Ocarina if you've never played it. So. so weirdly, I look more fondly upon Ocarina, but I actually think I like Link's Awakening more. So I think I agree. Like... <laughs> I think everyone should play Ocarina of Time. The thing is, like I said, everybody has. Everyone should also play Link's Awakening, and they haven't. I don't think everyone should play Link's Awakening. I think it's just a solid game. I don't know that there's a ton to learn from it that we haven't already. But Down quite a ways from here is the original Legend of Zelda. There are certainly people who would put this game below that one, but I am not one of them. I am also not one of them. I do not really understand the love of the original Zelda. I understand why it was beloved at the time, but... And nostalgia's a bitch. Yeah, it's also... Like, you can do whatever you want in any order you want, so I think that's why the, there's a big draw there. But This is not quite the midpoint between these two games, but I think it's an important comparison. How do we think it compares to Super Mario 64? Interesting. Personally, I like it more than Mario 64, but I'm also very much not a Mario guy. <sighs> this is hard for me because they're both very influential, both for me and to the rest of the world, but in very different ways. One of the reasons I really like 3D platformers is because there's so much, especially from this era, is that there's like so many random hidden things to go do. Um, a, a point we didn't get to in our conversation about Ocarina of Time is that traversing the map is pretty boring, right? It is, yeah. Uh, and, and I think Ocarina's Time is just small enough to get away with that. But in modern open world games, I think the biggest sin is not making movement fun. Movement, yeah. Movement is fun in Mario 64. It is. That said, I think Ocarina of Time is a much better game. 
I think I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's where I was going with it. Is I or like the mechanics of Mario sixty four. I think are more fun, but I think at the end of the day, Ocarina is probably a better constructed game. So, kind of Mario sixty four Big Brother, a game that came out the same year. How do we think it compares to Banjo Kazooie, which is kind of considered like the epitome of three D platformers? I certainly consider it that. I like it more than Banjo Kazooie because it's more than just go find all this shit I left around the map. Banjo-Kazooie is also very good at, like, introducing keys and then having a bunch of locks for them. But I think the dungeon content in Ocarina plays better than the open open world in air quotes. Because it's not even the same. Like, Ocarina of Time is more of an open world game than Banjo-Kazooie is. That's but definitely it's true. It's more Banjo-Kazooie gives you a bunch of themed sandboxes mm-hmm. to go play around in. This one's a tough one for me, but I think at the end of the day, I also prefer Ocarina to Banjo-Kazooie. All right. Dead in the center between Banjo-Kazooie and Link's Awakening, we have Super C. For the NES. I do like me some Super C. That said, it's definitely not my favorite Contra game, and it definitely has some problems. This one had multiplayer, right? Yeah, but also like the weird glitchy quasi 3D things, some graphic or some uh, processing slowdowns. Um, Mm. Wait, is Super C? That that was the Super Nintendo one, right? No, Super C is the NES one. Oh, okay, no, never mind. Super C is the one that I really, really like. I think I'd have to probably give it to Super C, because gaming with a friend is always fun. I definitely prefer Ocarina of Time, but I'm expecting to lose this comparison when Tyler reveals his hand. I actually think I prefer Ocarina of Time, but only very slightly. I think Super C is super solidly constructed, but it definitely has some bad level design. (laughs) Like, you're supposed to ignore it because it is supposed to, like, suck the quarters out of you, metaphorically, and also maybe literally in a different world. So a little bit above Super C, the game I probably should have compared this to instead. (laughs) How do we think it compares to Metroid? The original Metroid? The original Metroid. Interesting. I think favorably, but the original Metroid has such a long-lasting impact. I'm just thinking of some of the brilliant design in the original Metroid. Like where the Morph Ball is. Yeah. Did I play the original Metroid? You did not. This is one of the first games we played for the podcast. That's what I thought. That's probably why I didn't go for it. Like, it's such a hard call, because... Combat is probably about as good in both of them, right? Yeah, it, it's equally do I, the same thing. I think Metroid's a better game for speedruns. I don't know <laughs> if that means it's better. But on the other hand, like, part of the problem I'm having with this is that I feel like Metroid is extremely labyrinthine, and, but the problem is it's that way on purpose. Yes. Um, that's said, there's so <sighs> many quality of life things that I think they improved yeah. with. Metroid has, like, one too many, you have to bomb this, and you just have to guess you're supposed to bomb yeah. this moment, right? It, if this was Super Metroid, it would be no problem for me. Um, but I think well, I'm this gonna... game is definitely going before Super Metroid. Uh, huh? This game is definitely going before below Super Metroid. Yeah, um, I think I'm probably going to have to give this to Ocarina. Yeah, I think you're right. Right above Metroid, we have Super Smash Brothers. It's also on the N64. It's How also the... got Link in it. How the hell did Super Smash Brothers end up so high? Um, I'm very I, confused. I, I partisan for it heavy. Okay. <laughs> I really feel like it shouldn't be this high on the list, but... So, I feel that about many games, but that, no one ever listens to me. <laughs> That's why we let Halo get so high, though. So like, here. That was our concession, Zach. <laughs> here, look, I, I'm considering offering Zach the Faustian bargain of switching the places of Doom and Halo. Wait, isn't Doom also ridiculously high on the list? Yes, but it is three spots below Halo. It shouldn't be. Yeah, I, <laughs> three out of three podcast hosts agree. <laughs> and yet. And, and remember, y- when Doom was initially put on that list, it was cheated out of the top slot. What's what's top? Oh, what, what, what was top at the time? Gradius? Probably Chrono Trigger. It's been there for a long time. Okay. No, when, when we did no. that, the one that was on top 
was Castlevania because you put it above oh, yes. Doom. Oh yeah, there is that. I didn't. It was not on top. It, it got put that place. Hey, but you know what? One podcast host argued Halo should go below Doom, and you know who that was? <laughs> it wasn't either of you guys. <laughs> At the uh, time, I thought it was the case, but I have since looked back on it and been like, no, I, I was wrong. To be fair, Halo does have a lot going. Allow me but... to be wrong for a moment. I think Super Smash Brothers is better than Ocarina of Time. I'm willing to entertain a case. You have the floor, Mr. Super Wright. Smash Brothers develops a new sort of fighting game, right? And to be fair, it had many imitators, and no Super Smash Bros. imitator has been close to Super Smash Bros., right? We're starting to finally with indie games, but nothing on console for sure. I think Super Smash Bros. is still kind of the only like successful game in the Super Smash Bros. genre, in part because of the fact that it's basically an icon fighter, and no one else has the icons necessary in order to sell a game like that. But as far as, like, technical gameplay and platform fighters go, we're starting to finally see something on the level of Super Smash. Like, the real reason play- or, uh, PlayStation All-Stars failed is because the actual mechanics were kind of bad. I, I don't think it had much to do with their brand. Well, I never probably also it. had something to do with their and brand And Sony power, didn't give it near the marketing push that Nintendo gave Smash Brothers, right? Yeah, the problem is Smash Brothers is actually just a very solid fighting game also, and All-Stars was not. Anyway, um, so there's that, and I do love my mashed potato samurai. I really don't feel like the original Super Smash Brothers was a very well-constructed game, though. It felt like a tech demo more than anything. I think a lot of early N64 games did. That's also a good point, yeah. Um. Ocarina <laughs> of Time does have a completeness to it, right? It does, yeah. It definitely feels like a finished product. This is what they intended to put out into the world. Which, to be fair, a lot of the later N64 games got that. Majora's Mask, Paper Mario, Ogre Battle. I was going to say Harvest Moon 64. That one's definitely straddling that line. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, so is Ogre Battle. That one's also buggy as hell. I mean, so you do make a compelling argument. I still feel like as, hmm, oh man, this is real. I think I'd probably have to give it to Ocarina, but. Zach, you are the the tiebreaker. Does Ocarina of Time make it into our top 20? I'm going to have to say I don't think so, not on this case, because like all the cases you made are both very solid, but Super Smash Brothers... Did I even make a case? I think really. I just waffled for like 30 seconds. Jeremy and made something. cases for both sides. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is my greatest power. But, Gundam Seed Destiny is both the best and worst Gundam series. At the, the end of the power. day, I have to go with Smash Brothers in part because like gaming is just more fun with friends. And it also, as Jeremy said, it did create a whole new genre of game, and it is still very successful, and it's still one of the most beloved franchises. Despite the fact that it is one of the franchises I cannot stand. Like, I cannot argue with the fact that it is still incredibly popular as a franchise. So The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time goes at number 21, above Metroid and below Super Smash Bros. That does feel like about the right spot for it. Yeah, I mean, right above it is Gradius, which I don't think it would have past and right above that is Link's Awakening which we'd already made the ter- determination on. Yeah. I just in retrospect I feel uh, maybe I should save this for episode 300 when I do a retrospective on the entire podcast. Um <laughs> So but, speaking of Zach, what are we going to play next week? I've actually been waffling on like what should we play next week between a few games. And there was one that I was absolutely certain I was going to pick Having thought about it a bit more, I want to work up to that a little bit more. So this week, we're going to play a game that I think is actually particularly important um, in Grand Theft Auto 3 Vice City. Mostly because you can pick between any three of any of those three, but Vice City is the one I had the most experience with. And the first first GTA 3 is yeah, um, kind of sucks. From everything I've heard, Vice City is the best one. All right. So next time on Last Time, watch out for Hot Cup.